Well, good morning, church. Thanks for everybody who's been praying for our time together today. As Jordan announced earlier, today is our first in our series through the book of Deuteronomy. So I hope you have a Bible there in front of you. If you don't, you forgot it on your way to church today, there's a few extras in the back. And if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that as our gift to you. So we want our Bibles open. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Today we're going to be going through chapters one through three, one through three in Deuteronomy. And as you make your way there, I wonder what's something in your life that you've thought one thing about, but then for whatever reason, that thing started to change. I don't know what that is for you. For me, it was coffee. I grew up, my family never drank coffee. It just like wasn't our thing. And I had this misconception that all coffee was basically like the awesome, amazing drip coffee at Denny's. So that, well, why would I want that, right? So I go to college and I meet this amazing, beautiful woman named Carrie. And guess what? Her and her family drank coffee. So I started to drink coffee and I learned what I used to think about coffee was 100% wrong and incomplete. Coffee is so good. It's beautiful, right? It has so many different flavor profiles from all over the world. It's amazing. So what I used to think about coffee was only in my ignorance. Coffee is so much better than the old stale coffee at Denny's, right? Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So that, have that in your mind. That's kind of, I hope, I pray, what we're going to experience together through our time in the book of Deuteronomy. If you've ever done a Bible read-through, maybe for you when you've heard, oh, we're going through Deuteronomy, maybe you like just internally even start to feel bored, right? You're like, oh, how are we going to go through the book of Deuteronomy and not just hear law, law, stipulation, law, over and over again. I hope you'll start to see and agree with me that as we begin our time in Deuteronomy, we're going to see that Deuteronomy is key and central to the big story, the big story arc of Scripture. Some of what we're going to see together in the book of Deuteronomy includes what the purpose of the law was. Maybe you have some misconceptions about that, or maybe you do and you don't know it yet. We'll see that Deuteronomy highlights how amazing the love of God is. And we'll see that God is a promise-making kind of God and a promise-keeping kind of God. And throughout it all, yes, through the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to see that the book points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So follow along with me now. Look down at the Bibles in front of you. Chapter 1, I'm going to read verses 1 through the first part of verse 6 for us. This is God's Word. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah, opposite Suf, between Paran and Tapel, and Laban, and Hazerat, and Dizahab, it is 11 days' journey from Harab by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that the Lord had given him in commandment to them. 
after he had defeated Sion, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Asherot, and in Ediri, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses took to explain this law, saying, the Lord our God said to us. Let's pray together before we begin. Father, we need to hear from you today. We need to be reminded, refreshed, and revived with your faithful love to your people. Open your word to us this morning and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to consider three points together today. The first is a brief overview of the book of Deuteronomy. And then second, we're going to see wilderness wanderings. And then third, we're going to consider the question, who can enter the promised land? So first, an overview of Deuteronomy. So before we begin any book here at GBC from this pulpit, we need to have a brief sketch and overview of the book itself so we have a framework, a general direction of where we're going and why we're studying a book, especially a book like Deuteronomy. So maybe you come here today and you've been wondering, I'm a Christian, why do I have to know the Old Testament stuff, right? I live on this side of the cross now, praise God, I'm a new covenant believer, why do I have to know and bother with the Old Testament? Maybe you've been tempted to think I can unhinge myself from the Old Testament. Dear brother and sister, uh, let me show you why we need the Old Testament. There are three quick reasons. I'd love to hang out and talk through a lot more. First, quick three reasons why we need to spend time in the Old Testament, which includes Deuteronomy, right? So first, we want to see and understand Scripture like Jesus does. So in Luke 24, Jesus is risen from the dead, and he makes an astounding claim about the Old Testament. Jesus says in Luke 24 that the Old Testament was all ultimately about him. Jesus says to his disciples in Luke 24, 44, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. This means that Jesus is the centerpiece of scripture, of the Old and New Testament. That's the way scripture understands itself. So that's the way we need to and want to understand scripture too. Okay, so that's the first reason why you're going to hear Old Testament preached here at times at GBC. Because Jesus is at the center of the Bible, the Old Testament helps us really know and understand and appreciate the fullness and the truth and the beauty and the depth of the gospel. If we're not aware and familiar with the Old Testament, we lose some of the beauty and the depth and the fullness. So second, we need to know our Old Testament because what Romans 15.4 says, it says that everything that was written, everything in the past was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So we're going to spend time in Deuteronomy because I don't know about you, I need more hope. So we are going to spend time in the Old Testament because we need hope according to Romans 15.4. And then finally, here at Gresham Bible Church, we value preaching from both Testaments because we want to preach the full counsel of God. We want to preach in a way that's consistent and alignment with the pattern we see in Scripture. 
Like in Acts chapter 20, verse 27, Paul is getting ready to leave. They're on a beach. He's getting ready to leave Ephesus. They all know he's going to suffer. And he tells the Ephesian elders on the beach, he says that he did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. That's how we want to preach in the life of this church. We don't want to shrink back from preaching the whole counsel of God because we all as Christians desperately need the full counsel of God. So I hope if you came here with like, why are we doing this again? I hope that briefly paints a picture for you about why we're going to be in the book of Deuteronomy together. And since this is the first time in Deuteronomy, let me just give you like a brief overview so we have the big picture and context in mind before we dive into the book itself. Kind of like movie trailers nowadays ruin it, right? You only have to watch a two-minute trailer and you're like, well, I don't have to spend $20 to watch that movie. I hope what I'm about to say doesn't spoil everything, but it'll give you a short trailer for what we're going to see together in our time in Deuteronomy. So first, Deuteronomy means the second law. The traditional Hebrew name for this book was these are the words. So we should ask, what words? Look down again at chapter one of what I just read. Notice how the book starts. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. So who did Moses speak these words to? The original audience, we'll hear more of this here in a minute, it was to the next generation of Israel. The first generation that had been wandering for about 40 years, pretty much all pass away, and then Moses' words are to this next generation as they prepare to enter the promised land. So think about Deuteronomy like this. To put it another way, Deuteronomy is just one super, super long sermon. It's a series of sermons, maybe the longest sermon ever preached. And you're like, oh man, Mike, I'm getting excited about this. But uh, we're just taking it in chunks, right? Deuteronomy is probably the longest sermon ever preached. In Deuteronomy, we're going to see Moses. He's standing on the plains of Moab with all of Israel, this next generation assembled before him, right? Just thousands and thousands of people. And Moses is preaching. He is applying the law to this people so that they might flourish in the promised land that they're about to enter. And guess what happens when Moses is done preaching? He doesn't go by Chipotle on the way home to pick up an awesome burrito bowl and go watch football. Do you know what Moses does? He climbs up on a mountain and dies. That's what we'll see in chapter 34. That's how he ends the longest sermon ever preached. He goes up on a mountain and dies. So the people of God that he's preaching to have experienced a lot, a lot over the 40 years journey from slavery in Egypt until they start to enter the promised land. They've heard a lot from God, his commandments and his covenant conditions. And now they're ready at the Jordan River to cross into the promised land. And that's the backdrop, that's the context that tees up what's happening, the dynamics in play that Moses is going to preach into. And Moses' really long sermon is going to repeat over and over again. He's going to repeatedly remind them of God's faithfulness over and against their continued unbelief and disobedience. That's the drumbeat of the book of Deuteronomy. 
And some of you in this room probably know this. Jesus himself used the book of Deuteronomy in his own life, didn't he? When he was tempted in the wilderness, he quoted from the book three different times. A few other quick things just to have in our minds so we're rightly understanding the book. When we hear law in Deuteronomy, know that law is like the English word that's translated for Hebrew word Torah. As one commentator said, the Torah is primarily positive. It is not so much prohibition as it is instruction. Instruction in God's will. It is intended to tell them how they should live in God's land. So when you hear law, don't just think, oh, everything God says we can't do. Think instruction from God's heart to his people so that they might flourish. And the purpose of this law, I want to make sure we're like crystal clear on this coming in, right? The purpose of this law, it wasn't to save God's people, but it was so that they may have a good relationship with him and glorify his name to all the other nations around them. And how can I say that? Just think of where Deuteronomy fits in your Bible. The deliverance already happened, right? They were freed from slavery in Exodus. Now that brings us to Deuteronomy where the law is applied and preached to God's people. So the law is not a way to experience salvation or deliverance from God as if you're putting God in your debt. It's a way to flourish in a loving relationship with God and his people. So the law in Deuteronomy, it's surrounded by grace And keeping the law is a response to the grace they've received in Exodus and the grace that they're going to anticipate in Deuteronomy. Okay, I just threw a ton at you, uh, but I want to make sure we're really clear what our posture is and what we're anticipating as we come to the book of Deuteronomy together. All right, so with that, let's jump in. That was the overview, and that was a lot of overview, but now let's look at wilderness wanderings. Look down again at the Bible in front of you. Look at verse 2 in chapter 1. Here, Moses matter-of-factly says that Israel's 40-year journey in the wilderness should have only taken them 11 days. Like, what a way to start the longest sermon ever preached. He's like, yeah, this journey, you know, this first generation that died that you all have been on for 40 years, guess what? Should have taken you 11 days. Well, Wow. Why, right? Like what an engaging way uh, for him to start his sermon as I've been reflecting on that this week. There's a lot of dry humor baked in there. That's hilarious. And it is like shot across the bow starting the longest sermon ever preached. What took you 40 years, guess what? Should have only taken you 11 days. So the contrast of God's commands versus their disobedience is the reason why it took 40 years. And that's the driving drumbeat here at the beginning of the book. God's faithfulness over and against their faithlessness as exhibited by this 11-day journey taking 40 years. So over and over again, Moses is going to remind them in his sermon of their response to God and how did God's people continually, continuously over and over again respond to God. We'll see this throughout Deuteronomy. We'll look at this here in a minute. They responded with rebellion, with not listening, with grumbling, and with unbelief. So let's look briefly at a few different places that kind of help us move the plot, move the story along. 
First, look at in chapter 1, verse 19, and then verses 26 through 27. Just hear this together in this sermon that Moses is preaching. Moses says, Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh Barnea. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he has brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. So the story they told themselves was that God hated them. They did not tell themselves the true story that God had delivered them and had been faithful to them. And again, we see the same pattern in just a few verses later. Look down at verses 29 through 32. Moses again, preaching, Then I said to you, do not be in dread or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. So he points to them of all of God's faithfulness in Egypt and what they saw in the wilderness of his provision and protection, yet they did not believe God. So repeatedly, Moses highlights God's faithfulness and Israel's faithlessness. So we have to reflect and ask ourselves, what was their root problem? What was at the root of their reluctance and refusal to move forward and to trust and follow God? Their root problem is highlighted for us. It's teed up right there on the page in front of you. Look down again at verse 32. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe the Lord your God. Their root problem was their unbelief. And then as chapter one draws to a close, we read this in verse 43. So I spoke to you and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Moses is not flattering his listeners here to earn their attention, is he? He's calling out already over and over again, you've been faithless. You have rebelled, you have not listened, you've been functioning out of unbelief rather than belief. And then he doesn't let up, right? We know the chapter, the verses aren't inspired themselves, but as we moved into chapter two, the same pattern continues. Jump over to verse 14 in chapter two. Here Moses summarizes that their wandering in the wilderness continued until that first generation all passed away because of their unbelief. And the reason that happens is because that was exactly what God said he was going to do in the book of Numbers because of their unbelief. God keeps his promises and he's keeping them right here as we see at the beginning of Deuteronomy. But then the movement, the flow of the story begins to take on a different tone and it begins to change. Right after 2.14, we start to see that this new generation starts to obey the Lord and they begin to make progress toward the promised land. 
And again, remember, this is a long series of sermons by Moses, and it's directed to this new generation as they're preparing to enter the promised land. So this new generation starts to trust God, believe him, obey him. And then the second part of chapter two and the first part of chapter three, I just have to summarize it for us due to time. This describes how this new generation defeated two different kings as God's people began to trust and obey the Lord. And the implication is, if only you had been doing that from the beginning, right? This progress, it builds, it culminates up to chapter 3, verses 21 and 22. Look at it with me. And just like have it in your ears that you were there and this sermon is being preached to you as you're getting ready to enter the promised land. And I commanded Joshua at that time, your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. Go back and read it this week. They're obliterated. The odds were stacked against God's people and they defeated these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms into which you are crossing. You shall not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So think about that. Like, Why did Moses include that in his sermon? Why wasn't it on the cutting room floor? Because it's inspired and because God knew, right, that because Deuteronomy is the last book of the Pentateuch, Moses has in mind those immediate people in front of him, this new generation, and he like knows in some way that's beyond us that this book would be read and proclaimed and believed with God's people forever. And so he, he puts these verses, chapter 3, 21 and 22, in the book to include this encouragement to Joshua and by extension to every God follower, right? To an encouragement to God's people everywhere that it is the Lord your God who fights for you. So that's like a summary of what we see at the beginning of one of the longest, if not the longest sermon ever preached here from chapter one up until chapter three. We have to ask ourselves, like think about if you were charged with delivering this sermon, how would you have preached it? Why did Moses preach history to God's people? Out of everything he could have said at this very key moment, key moment in the story of the Bible, after 40 years of wilderness wanderings, as they prepare to realize entering the long-awaited promised land, there's so many things Moses could have said, right? Why did he remind them of what came before? And the reason why he did is because history preaches when we see history from God's point of view, because hope for the future is rooted in the past, because we're prone to forget, because we need to be reminded often of God's faithfulness, because God's prior faithfulness is proof that he'll be faithful again, no matter our circumstances, in spite of our fears and doubts. Maybe like much of the first three chapters of Deuteronomy, one way you could like read it and maybe you've seen it or felt it this way before, it kind of feels like a travel log, right? And then we went here and then we went here. I have an aunt and uncle who I love, but growing up, they would always want to show us, I'm aging myself, slideshows of their vacation. We went here and here. I'm like, oh, make it stop, right? That's what you could feel Deuteronomy is starting with, but it's not. 
There's something about being reminded of where we've been, of being reminded of God's never changing, always on time, faithful love to his people. We need these same reminders too, don't we? Just thinking about us as Gresham Bible Church as we're beginning our series in Deuteronomy. We're made of the same stuff that the people were here in Deuteronomy because our default setting as people is to doubt God, isn't it? Like if you're being really honest, truth serum is injected into your heart of hearts, into your soul, don't you sometimes like feel towards God, like, God, what have you done for me lately, right? Isn't that the place we often live out of? So I wonder, what are those places in your life that have been feeding your doubt of God? Where is your unbelief the strongest lately? Our unbelief, again, can be a lot like Israel's. Maybe you've had times in your life where you've experienced God's deliverance, and provision and faithfulness, just like the people of God we see here in Deuteronomy. But now maybe for you, your concerns, your hurts, your doubts, a diagnosis, your circumstances make you doubt God's goodness. Make you doubt, yeah, God, I know you were faithful in the past, but I'm not sure I can trust you to cash that check again those things that make you feel like you start to then wretch control of your life away from God, right? Because you need to do things in your way if life's going to go the way that you want it to go because you're doubting God's faithfulness. Again, we can read Deuteronomy. Maybe you've done this before and be like, those Israelites back in the Old Testament, what a bunch of fools. That's us. There's a reason it was written for us. It was written for our instruction. If that's you, and it is each and every one of us at some point, let me encourage you from God's word today to step into the light of God's grace and confess and repent of those doubts and those fears and your unbelief to God. Just name it. Confess you are living in unbelief to God. And God is gracious as you cry out to him in prayer, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. As we go through trials, we're all prone to doubt in the dark what we know in the light, aren't we? Just like the people of Israel. So let your confession and repentance reorient you to the trustworthy and inexhaustible faithfulness of God like a compass reorients you to true north. That's one way in which our text can apply to us today. And I want to take this opportunity to encourage us as a church. I see your elders see, I'm sure so many of you see as members of GBC, so much evidence of God's faithfulness to us as a church. And if you don't see it, I hope that you will. I don't have time to recall of it here. I'm not going to challenge Moses for the longest sermon ever. And you're like, thank you, right? But think of all the ways in which God has been faithful to this small local church over these last 16 years. Like just go in the Wayback machine with me real quick. No matter how long you've been at GBC, faithful for a church plant to take root in one of the hardest places 
in this country to live as a Christian for churches to flourish. We're 16 years old. We have our driver's license. God's been faithful to us. Our founding pastor, dear brother and friend Virgil, God calls him to help replant, reinvigorate a church closer into the heart of Portland, a very difficult place. God's faithful to us in that leadership transition. God brings us Josh Howith, a dear brother and a dear friend, a faithful practitioner of the gospel. God was faithful to us. God was faithful to us as we met in so many different places in co- during COVID, right? We were like the traveling circus band of a church here in East County. Where's Gresham Bible Church meeting this week? I don't know, right? But God was faithful the whole time. He was faithful to bring us back here at Dexter. Dexter wanted us back here. Praise God. Think of all the changes we've been through at a church, leadership changes, dear friends, people you love that maybe move or move to other churches. God's sovereign, but God has always been faithful in all the challenges and all the changes. Praise God. Like, just think about that. Think how sure, yeah, amen, yes. Think about how sure and beautiful Mount Hood is, right? You see that if you live out here. That's God's faithfulness to us. We have to be reminded of it often, don't we? And I want to encourage you and commend you, members of Gresham Bible Church. I see the same faithfulness living out of so many of you. And uh, so many of you that have been and are going through real sufferings and trials. It's truly a joy to be one of your pastors. I have seen you be faithful, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of doubt and unbelief when you lose a loved one, when you get that diagnosis that you did not want to have, when you go through the pain of loving someone who won't love you back, of when you feel God calling you to welcome someone into your home and you know it's welcoming a lot of hurt. I've seen God's faithfulness expressed in and through our body in so many ways, and I just want to commend God for that in us. He has been so faithful to us, and as we see God's faithfulness on display in the lives of the members of this church, it helps us be faithful too, right? It builds a culture here, an atmosphere where the seeds are clouded with trusting God's faithfulness. So no matter if you're in the best of times or you're in that dark place of doubt and unbelief, you can know God's faithful because I see it on display in that person's life, in that person's life. And then it helps us trust and follow God together as a church. Amen? Like, do you see Deuteronomy's beautiful? It calls us to trust and follow a faithful God. So let me give you two just quick ways that you can apply this in your life. Maybe you've never done something like this before. If you haven't, let me lovingly challenge you to do it. Write down instances of God's faithfulness to you in your life. Take a few minutes this week. Just put a timestamp on it. Over this last year, bullet point it. What are some ways that God has been faithful to me? Write it down. And then as you have time, expand that scope to five years and then 10 years. Write it down, however you want to record it. Keep it in a safe place. Look at it often because the same God who has been faithful to you in the past will be faithful to you in the future. And then when you're in that really dark moment of the soul, pull that list out. Preach it to yourself. 
like Moses is preaching here. Preach it to yourself even when you're not the best listener. Continue to preach God's faithfulness to yourself. Another way that you can live into the faithfulness of God together as God's people is to join a community group. That's a practical, accessible way we value God's faithfulness here in the life of Gresham Bible Church. We hear one another tell stories of God's faithfulness in our life, of faithfulness of bringing us to Christ, faithfulness of providing, of being loving and good and kind and trustworthy. And then that strengthens us to trust in God's faithfulness too. So if you haven't been in a community group before, let me encourage you, now's a great time to do it. There's signups in the back, okay? So just like we see in Deuteronomy, no matter what the future holds, we can know God will continue to be faithful because he's always faithful because that's who he is, amen? All right, this brings us to the last part of chapter three and our third and final emphasis. We haven't completed chapter three quite yet. So look down again at the Bible in front of you and focus on verses 23 through 28. What's it say? And I pleaded with the Lord at that time saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes for you shall not go over this Jordan, but charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over at the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. Did you catch the blame shifting Moses is trying to do with God? Did you notice that? Verse 26, as he's preaching this to, the sermon, to the, all the people, but the Lord was angry with me, not because of my sin, we'll get to in a minute, but because of all of you. And God lovingly, like a loving parent says, no, why don't you own your sin, Moses? Don't blame shift. So here we see that Moses asked God to let him go beyond the Jordan River to see the good land, to see the promised land. But because of Moses' disobedience, back in Numbers chapter 20, God prohibits Moses from entering the promised land, doesn't he? Instead, Moses is to charge Joshua. He's to encourage him, to strengthen him as the next leader of Israel. So real quick, I don't want to assume all of us know what happened back in Numbers chapter 20, but it's really important as we close here in chapter three of Deuteronomy. There in Numbers 20, let's just call it like it is, Moses is sick and tired of Israel's lack of faith, of their continued grumbling and unbelief. So he puts himself in the place of God and he beats a rock to supply water for God's people. He doesn't do exactly what God told him to do because he's frustrated, because he's living out of a place of unbelief. In Numbers chapter 20, verse 12, Here's the verdict God gives about what Moses did. Numbers 20, verse 12. 
because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. So here at the end of chapter three in Deuteronomy, God's keeping his word to Moses and Moses can't enter the promised land. So in essence, like think about all these dynamics in play. Moses is preaching this sermon to the people, highlighting their unbelief. And yet Moses has been living out of places of unbelief too, hasn't he? Moses shows us that we all can struggle. All of us fail. And that's kind of the whole point as we come to the end of chapter three. There's a quote I wanna read you by author and pastor Eugene Peterson that said this, I thought of Moses and I thought of myself. I bet you'll see yourself in this quote too. All the persons of faith I know are sinners, doubters, uneven performers. We are secure, not because we are sure of ourselves, but because we trust that God is sure of us. It's kind of what's happening here at the end of chapter three in Moses's life. So again, think about who Moses is. Even Moses, who wrote the law on stone tablets for the people, the 10 commandments, even Moses needed someone greater, didn't he? Because the law found him guilty too. So do you see, do you feel, do you taste what chapter three is inviting us to anticipate of what God's word here is doing? Moses is literally standing out, looking out at the promised land, wanting to enter it, wanting so badly to enter it. And God says, no, that should help us anticipate something greater like Moses's. He can see it. He knows what's going to happen but he can't go there quite yet. So Deuteronomy, the trajectory of it, it's pointing us forward here. Ultimately, Deuteronomy points us to the truth that Jesus Christ is the ultimate lawgiver because Jesus is the true and better Moses. That can sound like Christianese. I wanna show you real quick like why it's true. Think about it again. Moses wrote the law on tablets of stone. What does Jesus say that he does? He writes the law on the tablets of our heart so we can actually change and actually obey God. Moses failed to bring his people into the joy of the promised land, didn't he? Jesus secures eternal joy for us. And how does Jesus accomplish this? By giving all who believe in him the blessings of the covenant by taking on himself the curses of the covenant for us in our place. And I can say that because God's word says that. We were just in our series in Galatians. I hope it's popping into some of your minds. Galatians chapter three, verse 13 puts it like this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Think about this. Think about the life of Jesus Christ, the perfect life of Jesus Christ. He's the only one who ever obeyed the law perfectly, inwardly and outwardly. Jesus should have received all the blessings of obeying the law. But what happens at the end of Jesus's life? He experiences the curse of the law. Why? So that we can experience the blessings of the law because there's no way for us to accomplish it. We will fail just like the people of Israel, just like Moses. 
Moses as a leader was insufficient, wasn't he? Moses was punished because of his sin, because of his unbelief. But Jesus is the perfect leader, the one who was punished for our sin so that we can know his all-sufficiency. Do you see where Deuteronomy is pointing us? It's wetting our appetite for the gospel. It's wetting our appetite for the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's anticipating it. It's expecting it. It's waiting for it to be fulfilled in Christ. Where Israel failed, think about it like this, where Israel failed, Jesus succeeded. Israel, again, wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, didn't they? Jesus was tempted in the wilderness for 40 days, and he triumphed. Jesus provides for us, too, where we fail. You know what's amazing? Like, think about Moses. He's longing to enter the promised land, and God says, no, God keeps his promises. But Moses does eventually enter the promised land, doesn't he? In Luke chapter 9, the transfiguration, Jesus' full glory is on display for some of his disciples, and Moses and Elijah are right there with him, like physically in a place. And the location that they were, the transfiguration happens is within the promised land. So Jesus, through Jesus, Moses is able to finally see and experience the promised land. He couldn't in and of himself. He failed continually. Through the gospel, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, he's brought into the promised land with the full glory of Jesus. Like, do you see how amazing and good and glorious God's word is? Because it points us to the centerpiece, and that's Jesus Christ. Only through Jesus can we see and experience the hope we long for, the hope the people of Israel longed for, the hope Moses had. Only in Christ is that fully realized. So as we move to a close, I just want to encourage us, charge us briefly. This text requires, it demands some type of response or you are not seeing it clearly. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, as I hope you'll hear us say every week, we're really glad you're here. What I would ask you to consider, friend, if you're here and you're not a Christian, is that you can't trust in anything or anyone else for the forgiveness of your sins. It'll ultimately fail you. Even if you are as amazing of a leader and a prophet like Moses, you're going to fail. Everyone will fail to meet the standard of God's law in some type of way. You need a substitute. You need Jesus Christ. Because only Jesus is powerful enough to give you the perfect record that the law requires. Like, just, just think about it. Maybe you've never, like, dabbled in different religions. Or maybe you keep trying different religions on for size like a new shirt. Whatever one you're trying, it requires you to obey certain types of laws to earn God's love, to earn God's favor. Only Christianity says God put himself in your place to live that perfect life and to take the punishment you deserve so you can experience the hope and the life that you long for. Only in Jesus does he take your shame and wraps you in his righteousness. And then for those of us here today who are Christians, I'd encourage you to confess and repent too. Again, we are made of the same stuff the people who first heard this sermon are. Confess your unbelief to God. 
confess that in some way you're trying to work your way into some sort of promised land in your life through your own good works, through what you do or don't do. When you're living out of that place, you're doubting God's faithfulness. So you can try to control people and even tell God, God, what have you done for me lately? So you start to want to take control. If that's you, confess and repent. Lay your life down again to Jesus. Trust him to be your all-sufficiency, to be the hope and the, the longing that you deeply have. In closing, let's go back again to Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 30 and 31 says this. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you. And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. So think of who Jesus is and all he has done to show his steadfast love to you how he has carried you in your wilderness and saved you at great cost to himself. And he will bring you safely home to the ultimate promised land of the new heavens and new earth. And then Christian, apply that heart to your heart today as you live between the already and not yet, as you live in your wilderness and you long for the promised land to be with Jesus. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word always accomplishes the purposes for which you send it. Lord, I pray that you will draw out of us those places of unbelief. Bring conviction where needed. Lord, bring comfort where needed. We praise you for your gospel. We thank you, Lord, that you are a promise-making God and a promise-keeping God. And that because of Jesus, we can trust you and we have a hope the world didn't give and we have a hope the world can't take away. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.